Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Fluid Football Podcast. My name is Avi. I am joined by my co-host, Jacob. Jacob, what are your thoughts on the Eagles drafting Jalen Hurts? Uh, a little off topic to start off here. Some American football, but uh, interesting pick. Not the pick I would have made in any given scenario. Uh, Carson Wentz. I mean, there's a couple things. Maybe we'll trade him. But, I mean, it seems to be, you know, backup for Carson, given his injury history. I don't know how I feel about it, given some of the positional needs that we currently have. But, uh, yeah, he caught me off guard with that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to be on the spot with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on from the American football and move into the subject of today's edition of the Fluid Football Podcast. So... For those of you who don't know, about a couple of weeks ago, Netflix released the second season of Sunderland Till I Die, the docuseries about Sunderland who were relegated from the Premier League down to League One within two seasons, which is terrible for those of you who don't know, although you, you probably should at this point. But uh, no, they, they, they released the second season, very entertaining stuff, and we're here today just trying to you know dissect it give our reactions and responses to, to what we saw. So, you know, I think we can start off and just talk a bit about some of the, the characters. It's funny to call them characters because they're real people, you know, but right, you know, some, right. of our, some of our favorite characters from the second season in particular. So one character, you know, first of all, Aiden McGeady, uh, he, I was, I would say unsung hero, but he's, you know, he's sung if that, if that's the right way to put it, he's an absolute legend. Um, you know, FIFA legend, five-star skills back from Everton uh, <laughs> back in the day. But no, um, he seemed to always come up big when they needed it, you know, across yeah. both seasons. He was, he was like Mr. Reliable for them, especially after, you know, Josh Maja left the team. Like whenever Sunderland needed a goal, everyone just started looking at McGeady. And I think it really hurt them later on in the season when he got injured. Uh, in, the, in the playoff, he came on and, you know, he wasn't 100%. You could tell that, but... Yeah, he was, uh, you know, a veteran and someone they really relied on. Um, and it was, it was, it was great to watch him. You know, he scored some great goals and he, he had some great moments in the season uh, for for Sunderland. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's amazing how. Um, yeah, it might have been the first episode of the season. They showed the squad that they had in the previous season in the championship, and they showed like eighty five percent of the squad had been scrapped, and Aiden McGeady's name was still there. Yeah. Which was interesting, given a player of his, you know, of his reputation and his history. It's, it's kind of cool that he stuck around despite the fact that they were relegated to the league to League One. Yeah, I think uh, was it was it McGeady who was I think at the beginning of season two he was just talking about the previous season, and he was just going in on the owners and the management, and he was saying, yeah, nobody cared, like you know, there was no accountability. He, you know, he was really honest, and it felt like you know he was a guy who. Who wanted you know Sunderland to come back up into the championship? Um, so, so yeah, that was really interesting. I, I couldn't believe how how many players left the club. I mean, that was that was insane. Um, you know, John O'Shea, was, was, John O'Shea, the captain too. Yeah, that was some career mode stuff right there. I mean, the, the turnover is, was insane, but they had to do it because you know they had all these these players who were you know on Premier League wages, which is you know their favorite word throughout the series. You know, not sustainable, right? It's sustainability. Um, so, yeah, they could not afford that, especially in League One. Um, yeah, and they, they brought in some, you know, interesting players. Um, 
some young, some young talents. Lyndon Gooch, you know, he's an American. He yes, scored. Uh, he he was uh, he scored a goal in the first first um, first game of the season. Uh, you know, of the season uh, they showed, and it was cool. I, I'd see him pop up on my Twitter timeline occasionally with a with a goal. And yeah, yeah, Lyndon Gooch is uh, one to watch. I would say for, from the American side of things. That's interesting. You bring him up. I know he uh, he might have become a more rotational player throughout the season. Nonetheless, you know he'll 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 be interesting to follow. But the one player who they kind of made out to be one of the the protagonists, one of the heroes, uh, who who might have taken his place was Luke Nine. Yep. Yeah. Um. Just what what a likable guy. Yeah, he seems he seemed like a, I mean he looks like he's like 15 years old. You know, he looks very young. Uh, he seems you know very enthusiastic. Um, he, he kind of seems like. He's just excited to be there in a way, you know. He 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 feels like he he's like every other football fan. He he's just happy to be there and enjoying every moment with it, uh, which which yeah. is really cool. Um, but yeah, he he uh, he really improved throughout the season. You know, at the end of the season, he was he was a key player for the club. Yeah, he 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 was uh, you know, in a sense, he was all of us. He was he was right. out there living his out there living his dream. He mentioned, you know, in one of his first interviews, he's like, you know, I walk out there and I see Aiden McGeady. You know, yeah. and, and it's like, oh my goodness! Like I'm really yeah. playing here. I think he he'd won the league two the season before, and, and then got the transfer and the move in. And it was kind of cool to see how how he progressed in there, like you were saying. Yeah, he was he was really scrappy too. I just remember, you know, he got like a head injury, and then he came back on with uh, like a head wrap. And I was thinking, like that dude probably has a concussion, but okay. <laughs> some some Rocky, some Rudy, some Rocky, and some yeah. Rudy in there. It was some big Rudy vibes for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess let's let's start with the new let's let's go into the new ownership because um, you know obviously the club was sold. Um, what's his name? Uh, Ellis Short was their previous yeah. owner. Uh, you know he's very hands off, but you know the club got relegated tw- two seasons in a row, which is you know not sustainable from a business side of things. Uh, he was just sick of of the club, I think. And mm-hmm. then you know at the end of season one, you get these new owners. Uh, you get a brief sneak peek of them. They seem you know completely different. Um, and I think, you know, these guys, Stuart, Stuart Donald and, uh, Charlie, what's Charlie's last name? I forget the last name actually. Yeah. Stuart and Charlie though. Yeah. They're an interesting pairing. You know, it was kind of like good cop, bad cop, you know, Stuart Donald was like, uh, he's like a, a true football fan. You know, he just always talked about how he loved to own a club of this size and, you know, how his dream was to be a professional footballer. And then, you know, see, so he's the good cop. And then the other side is Charlie, who's just a classic, like hard ass, like, you know, business guy. He's like, you know, this this club's a failed. His, his, <laughs> his quote was a failed effing uh, a business, and I mean, you needed. He was like a perfect. I don't think I'd like working with him. You know, working for him, but you know, he was exactly what Sunderland needed to have um, come in and uh, you know fix their business because you know they were losing you know thirty thirty or forty million pounds you know a year. So you know he you know a lot of people didn't like him because he he rubbed people the wrong way but you know i think he kind of had to be you know that that asshole in, in the room he, he came in and kind of gave them a sort of direction and an identity that they seemed to have lost over the years um leading to you know their demise and i mean i'll say like i thought it was so cool that they showed the business side you know of the club because yeah. you know you've seen other other documentaries other series about football clubs and it's you know it's all about the season and it's all it's all so fun to watch but really gave you an insight into what goes on behind the scenes a bit more than, than we've seen before. Like, you know, I'm taking, uh, I'm taking an accounting class right now and he's talking about all these expenses they can, uh, 
they can decrease and get rid of right. it was it was kind of funny like you know listening to him go through like piece by piece um yeah i thought it was really yeah. interesting his um you know he was big on marketing and and you know trying to get the, the ticket numbers up and that one episode i think it was the christmas one where they tried to you know get the sellout and they set the record for the league one you know attendance i thought that was fascinating how you know um you know their social media campaigns and um just just how they tried to get as many people in there and i think that was a complete reversal from the previous regime where it was like they just kind of expected the fans to come you know there was no real outreach um and i think from that side of things you know the new ownership you know knocked it out of the park um with fan engagement and just being really open you know i remember you know, the the owners they would go on the local radio shows and, and talk i would say almost a little too openly you know they they were very open about things which was you know kind of bizarre i would say it's kind of interesting though like like you said it's like maybe more than they should have um but but you also see after the matches you know this is Sunderland a very historic club beautiful stadium and after the matches you have the players in the parking lots walking with the fans and yeah. it's kind of interesting like and it, i guess it's kind of reflective of Sunderland as a club you know it's it's the people's club it's you know it's the working class in class in northeast england and it's it's interesting how it seemed the players were integrated with the community in, in a few different ways. And they also made that part of their marketing efforts. At one point, they had the players, you know, setting up the seats or painting the seats or something yeah, in the stadium. They were replacing the seats, yeah. That was really yeah. cool. And they got to, yeah, then people, the fans got to come in and help them. And yeah, that, that was one of my favorite moments, though, I have to say, because, you know, it was really interesting. I didn't even think about it. The fans' complaint was that the, 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 um, the seats were turning pink because they were old. So, you know, that was one of the biggest complaints and it wasn't something I would necessarily think of. And so, you know, that little step of, you know, replacing the seats, I think went a long way to reestablishing that bond, you know, between the city and, and the club. Yeah, you really, you know, with the ownership, um, you, you really just had, you know, these guys come in paying extra attention to detail. And I think it was kind of the little things that they did, you know, just freshening up the seats, you know, changing the song, little things that you probably wouldn't think of when you're looking at it from a bird's eye view, but none, you know, there, there are things that add up over time and yeah. things that, you know, it seems like the way they left it off is that it's going to lead to something exciting in the future. Yeah. You mentioned the music, which was probably one of the funniest parts where he was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, need, we need it to be like a, like a, something like a dance hall or something like that. And he yeah, just yeah. blasting EDM music in his, in his office, which is, which is pretty funny. Um, yeah. Charlie was an interesting character, but you know, I think I appreciate what he was trying to say because I, I do think, you know, I've been, you know, to a couple of English stadiums and you know, the walkout music is like old rock. And it's just like that that really doesn't, you know, get the uh, the blood pumping. So I, I appreciate what he's trying to do. I would honestly, why not just start playing some rap? You know, let's get some Negro in there. <laughs> let's get some music nightmares. Honestly, dude, it would change It would change the complete, you know, I think all the players would love it too. We, we can, uh, you know, we can do an episode just on the song choice next, you know. We'll let... <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, no, but, but overall, like I'd say I liked, you know, Charlie, they, they wanted to make a controversial character the way, the way they, they kind of portrayed him and depicted him, but I did like him. There was the scene where you saw one of the, the women on the marketing team packing her, you know, her bags, you know, she has the boxes leaving, yeah. which was, you know, you, you felt, you felt for her. You saw it halftime in one of the matches. She, she's like, oh, we might get there. And he's kind of just like there's not there's no might you know we're getting there we're not if we're 100 yeah. seats off i don't care we're not we haven't done it um gave off, but I, like major shark tank vibes you know yes 
I, I, he had the voice for it, though. He, like, he, he had a very deep voice. You know, his delivery was, was interesting. And I think, you know, Charlie, like, as, like, like, like I said before, you know, he, um, a lot of people probably didn't appreciate, you know, maybe he was, he was very honest and maybe abrasive at times, but he, he, was, he had to have that change because of how incompetent, you know, the previous, um, you know, leadership was, because really there, there was none. You know, watching from the first season, their chief executive was just—he was just kind of like letting things go. And I don't know. I think it was as much as people, you know, might dislike Charlie. I think he was the right man for the job. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Obviously, it's it's a documentary, so we'll see how it goes moving forward. I, I am excited. I mean, like when you when you see a documentary like this and you get such an in-depth look at at everyone involved at the club, you do get some sort of attachment. To the club and you know if you, if you know what i mean like i don't yeah. know i just i'll be interested in following their progress yeah unfortunately uh they're not doing the documentary anymore uh, they said the the team didn't want to do it and yeah um i think the especially because just how depressing it was wow. we'll get to that later but just you know two, two back-to-back you know just tough seasons so uh, yeah netflix said they might in the future come back to them but um they just felt like it wasn't wasn't right to do a third season right now but um, yeah, that was that was interesting. Out and, and as a Newcastle fan, you know Sunderland are you know our biggest rivals. Obviously, I'm not from the northeast of England, so the rivalry doesn't mean quite as much to me. But um, you know, I still you know felt a, a genuine connection to the club, and um, it, it was it was really cool to see how much just like a one football club means to a city and, and how interconnected everyone was. Um, but you know, let's let's get into the ugly. I would say. Um, <laughs> Let's start with uh, Josh Maja's contract situation. Ooh. I think this was a, um, a situation that could have been avoided easily. I know they tried to shift a lot of blame on the previous regime. Um, you know, they said that his contract was, you know, not set up correctly. And But, you know, at the, at the end of the summer, it, it seemed pretty, you know, Josh Maja was kind of going back and forth on whether he wanted to sign the contract. And, and it seemed like, you know, he, he might leave. So at that point, it seems like, you know, you should have transfer targets ready to go. You should be prepared to sell him because, it, you know, you don't know if he's going to stay. But, you know, when, when the winter transfer window came in, he basically said, I'm leaving to Bordeaux. Um, and then so they got like a, a small, I think it was one million you know pounds or whatever, which is a decent fee. But, you know, he had uh, 15 goals in 24 appearances, which is, you know, really something for I think he was 19 years old yeah, at the time. Yeah, he was a kid. Yeah. Um, and I think. They ended up settling on Will Grigg and paying, you know, three times his value. They paid, you know, three million for him, even though, you know, everyone said he was worth around one. And, and I think they were saying, you know, oh, we don't have any other options. Well, it was like, well, if you had actually scouted and, and, you know, realized that this was a possibility that Maja would leave, you know, you wouldn't have to do this, you know, last minute deadline day stuff. It's Yeah, basically, like, it, correct me if I'm wrong. What you're saying is basically have a deal or two lined up in case Major leaves. Yeah, I mean, it seemed pretty obvious, you know, his agent was, you know, kind of giving the runaround, and you have to be prepared for this stuff, especially for a player who's as important as Majo was to them, because, you know, Griggs just didn't cut it in, in the second half of the series, and I, and I, I watched, uh, I read an article about this, and, and it was like, you know, Griggs was a, clearly a panic buy. Um, you know, if you looked at his stats, um, you know, he, he was not worth anything close to that money. Um, and he was clearly on the decline as well. So it was a really poor job. And one of the few missteps, I think, from the ownership 
unfortunately, it was, you know, one of the biggest decisions you can make, you know, on a player. So, um, and, and I thought it was really interesting how, how Stuart Donald got kind of sucked into that, that deadline day pressure. And he, he chose to shell out, you know, $3 million for, for a player who was, um, you know, probably not worth that. And I think at that point, that's where you have to listen to the people who, who know football, right? You know, his, his head of, I think it was, um, you know, his sporting director or football management or whatever, the guy who's in charge of transfers basically said, you know, don't pay more than a million. I believe the manager said, Jack Ross said, don't pay more than a million. And Stuart Donald, that's where the, um, you know, kind of fanboy came out, right? You know, he, he, was, he just wanted to have that player. He wanted to, to, to make a signing. Um, and it's unfortunate because they got ripped off. <laughs> it's amazing. Like a man who's so wealthy, who's made so much money, like such a successful businessman gets sucked into that, the emotion of it. But, yeah. but he even says, he even says, um, when he's like, you know, I, I, I love securing a deal. It's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. And he really, really wanted it. But, but I will say I was excited for Will Grigg to come in just because of the chant. I thought Sunderland would love the chant. You know, yeah, your defense is, cool. is terrified. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought if anybody could do it, it would be them. But yeah. And I think when you're, like, playing career mode, it's like, oh, I bid one million pounds for this guy or whatever. And then they raised the bid to, like, three million. You know, it's like, all right, yeah, I'll just I'll just pay that, you know. But, like, in real, you have to realize, you know, it's real life. Like, that's three times someone's value. That's you know, that's three million, you know, dollars or pounds. That's That's a ridiculous amount of money. And I think, you know, fans often lose sight about that. Even if it's like you know increasing five hundred thousand dollars a bid, you know that's a, that's a large amount of money, and I think just because how much money there is in football now, it's it's kind of hard to comprehend, you know how much money that still is, um, you know. But by going back to the real Griggs, I feel like, um, you know, I saw the the in the article that I read, it basically said they should have let they should have called Josh Modge's bluff, they should have not have accepted the transfer from Bordeaux, and they should have just made him play out the season, because you know. If they if he stays, I believe they make it to the championship by automatic qualification. Just how important he was, um, and I think qualification to the championship is is worth a lot more than one million pounds. If you let him go on a free that summer and you qualify for the championship, it doesn't matter pretty much because you've gained probably I think it was thirty million pounds is is what you get for going out to the championship. You're gonna make that back. So I I think they should have kept him and not sold him to Bordeaux. Yeah, I, I thought it would be really would have been really cool if they had gotten in touch if, if you know for the documentary they'd gotten in touch with his agent and interviewed his agent but that would be yeah. really cool because you know they're talking about josh maji he's a kid right i mean it's it's his it's his first time through you know sunderland's his club it's his first time you know exploring the transfer market uh and looking for his options uh you know his family as well so every time anybody asks him you know are you going to stay or are you going to go he says and he's being honest. He says, I don't know what's going on. I'm just playing football. My agent will do it all for me. He'll do what's yeah. right. And then you have, on the other hand, you have, you know, the owners being interviewed and they're, you know, they're just, they hate the agent. They're like, yeah. you know, this agent just wants a bit of extra cash. He doesn't care where Majo plays. Yeah, so he's yeah, just yeah. trying to get him out of here. Um, so it would have been really cool. It, it gives you a bit more insight into how it works because, you know, we get a bit of a taste, but we don't really, we don't really see what goes on behind the scenes in that sense. So, I don't know. It would have been really cool to see how how the transfer saga, you know, how it, just how it plays out. Yeah, and I don't blame Maja at all. I mean, he, he went from third division of English football to, to first division of French. You know, that's that, that's a move I think was probably best for him. 
Um, and, you know, he's doing pretty well for Bordeaux. I, I looked up his stats. He, he scored seven goals in 28 appearances. You know, that's not bad for, for a kid who's that young. Um, you know, so I don't blame him at all for making the move. But, you know, like you said about the agents thing, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't think a lot of people know this about transfers, but, um, you know, there's three separate ne- negotiations when it comes to transfers um, or, or even a contract. You have to negotiate with um, – if you're going to buy a player, you have to negotiate with a team to, to negotiate the, the selling price. And then you have to negotiate with the player to get his wages. And then you also have to negotiate with the agent to, to um, come up with an agent fee. So there's three, three um, you know, levels that clubs have to go through, which, you know, people, that's part of the reason, you know, people hate, um, you know, modern day football or the transfer part of it at least because there's so many different, um, you know, people involved with it. So, so it's very complicated and there's a lot of different, you know, interests that collide there. Uh, you think you're there and then you're not, you know. Exactly. Think, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Josh Maja, you know, who know, who knows where his career will go, but, but still he was uh, a very interesting character in, in, in the documentary and in, on the show. Uh, yeah. and, and he had, he had his friend in the first season, uh, Joel Lasaro, I think. Yeah. Who yeah, yeah. interestingly he got what? transferred out. Oh, he did. I didn't even know. I, cause, I, think, I think he did. Cause, um, he won young player of the year for the club. And then he just wasn't there second season. I was like, where did this guy go? Right. <laughs> I, I don't know why they would have kept one versus the other. Maybe just, you know, received an, an enticing offer for Lasaro, but. Yeah. It looks know. like, Oh, he, um, yeah, he moved to Swansea city and he's on loan in the, uh, Eredivisie. So that's interesting. Uh, which the Eredivisie, if you haven't heard yeah. canceled. Yep. Canceled. And some people yeah. are, uh, some clubs are furious. Because I think the the second division of Dutch football, this team had an eleven point lead, and their their season's wiped. So you know all that hard work, they're not going to get promoted. They have to play another season, which is just devastating. I think if you're going to end the season now, you know fine, but you should you should keep the places at this point. You know the majority of the seasons played. I think if you're going to end the season, you should keep the places uh, of the of the teams right now. Maybe, but but. I don't know. Liverpool fans, you've been warned, is all I'll say. And I saw something today where it was like, um, to decide the, the places, it'll be like points per game, you know, so there, there won't be an, um, uh, yeah. irregularities with the, you know, if a team's played more games than another team, which I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah. But anyway, let's, let's, let's go back to, uh, to the series. Um, you know, you know, one of our favorite, you know, characters, I think, in, in like uh, a side character, um, you know, we're, we're the workers, you know, the cooks there. Um, there's a man and a woman. I, I forget their name, but, mm-hmm. you know, they, they were they really represented the, um, you know, the working class, um, you know, heart of heart of that club and how much it meant to everyone. Because, you know, when they dropped to League One, they talked about all of the um, the layoffs that happened. And, and it just really, um, you know, gave you an idea, you know, when you hear about promotion relegation, oh, that's a great idea. But then you realize how relegation affects the clubs, and it's like, wow, you know, this this really sucks, you know. <laughs> it's on so many levels, it does, and yeah, the uh, you know, I don't know if she was like the head chef or what what she was, but she went to the match uh, at Wembley, remember? Yeah. And she's like, you know, this is only the second time I've seen them play in twenty five years. Yeah, that's crazy, that crazy. Um, but it, like, it just shows, like, you know from the players and it's not just the players it's it's the staff and it's the fans who can't bear to see the team lose and and all that comes with it but i thought you know the interactions that she had with the players was very heartwarming uh, yeah. you get to see a different side of the players you know they're just 
you know, joking around in, in the in the cafeteria, and and it's very nice to see. Yeah, and um, it was just heartbreaking to see, you know, Sunderland made it to Wembley um, twice, and and they lost, you know, both times. Once in the um, Cheka Trade Trophy, which is the, like the lower division of the League Cup, basically, um, and they lost to Portsmouth, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously they lost in the playoff final to um, who they lose to. Do you remember? Ooh, I don't remember. But all I know is I don't like Portsmouth now. <laughs> <laughs> like I really, I really don't. I, every yeah. time they, they, you know, they, they would play against Portsmouth, I, I, was, I was like, rage. <laughs> there was yeah. rage inside me. And um, in, in the playoff final, you know, they went up one zero, and they ended up losing two to one, which was you know even more gut wrenching. Um, but I thought it was interesting. I thought the management, you know, the upper level management, the owner, you know, Charlie and Stuart, I thought they were a little too hands on, honestly, with with the football side of things. You know, they were kind of complaining a lot about all oh, the the manager's tactics, and it's like, you know, why don't you guys just stick to what you guys are good at and, and let the football people do what they what they need to do? And you know, that's kind of goes back to what I was saying about the transfer market. Um, I think there needs to be that little bit of separation there because otherwise, you know, the people, the manager. Or the, the head of transfers, they they just don't have any job credibility. They don't they don't have any confidence in in their um if they're getting undermined by their manager, I feel like, or their 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 owners. Yeah, that's fair. I think, I mean, I, I do agree with you. Um, I think in this case, they were concerned because they spent uh, a substantial fee on Will Gregg, and and Will Gregg just was not producing what they needed yeah. him to. And I don't know if, if you know that was it, or if if they want to, if they just you know weren't genuinely too involved. But that, that was definitely a bit of a factor. And and you you saw towards the end of the series the fans uh, starting to you know criticize Jack Ross. And yeah. yeah, I thought I thought he was unfairly criticized. Honestly, you know they were doing you know great basically for the first half of the season. You take away his top score, you know Josh Maja was just so important to the team. You take him away and you expect him to do, you know, the same results or even better. I know they brought in Will Graves, but it's just not the same. And um, I thought he was kind of vilified unfairly. Uh, he was kind of a scapegoat, I thought, especially from the, I think, the, from the management point of view. And, um, you know, the fans, they're going to turn on a manager, obviously. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. You know, this regime compared to the previous, you know, ownership was very hands-on. It was basically the opposite of, you know, like the opposite of the previous owner who was, you know, very hands-off, you know, barely cared about the club, it seemed like. Um, so I would say it, it, it's better to be hands-on than hands-off, but, you know, at times they, they seem to cross that boundary. Yeah, yeah. Um, real quickly, just on the footballing side, little thing I picked up, it really it started in the first season in the championship, but especially when you got to the league, you know, League One, the goalkeeping is atrocious. Oh, yes. I, I, oh, my it, God. That's what I was thinking. Really, Watch the goals that go in past these keepers. You get close angles of you know the keepers getting their hands on the ball. It is terrible. Yeah, terrible there was there was a lot of errors, goalkeeping errors, you know, throughout both seasons. And even you know, I watched just the series on Leeds um, and Amazon Prime, and there was a lot of goalkeeper errors in there too. It was, it was kind of shocking. Um, I guess it just shows you know the, the drop in quality you know from the first flight. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, if you're a good goalkeeper, you you probably will play in a, a first division in some country. I think Sunderland across the two seasons played four or five goalkeepers. I think we saw, yeah. um, but I don't know. 
I don't know. It, it was it was it was very frustrating to watch. But you saw in the in the was it the Czech Trade Cup final? Uh, you, the pass back to the goalkeeper was ended up in the back of the net after five oh, minutes. Yeah, that was that the was first the goal, goal that Sunderland scored. Yeah. Oh What's my. going on? It's a final. Yeah. <laughs> I almost it's a forgot. Final. That was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, there were I think nerves had something to do with that. Um but yeah, I think I think Sunderland were fortunate to go up in that situation. Now that I think about it, I, I I'm trying to pull up the score now. I, I don't believe I I think I got the score wrong. Let me let me find the score. No, I think it no, the the Czech trade cut uh, trophy final oh, was two one. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, okay. That was 2-1. 81st minute, I think, was the equalizer, and then maybe extra time they lost. Or no, yeah. it might have been the final kick of the game, 95th yeah, minute absolutely. or something. Yeah, I think I think the um, the championship final or the, the League One final went to uh, extra time, and I think they lost 3-2 or something like that. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. It, yeah it I, mean, a, I mean, yeah, yeah. Great season, um, you know. Highly recommend you know checking out that uh, both seasons if you haven't seen it. Yeah, uh, and just just to add on, uh, I think Netflix did a great job with with the series, uh, and it was really cool getting to see follow stories of different fans. Not only do you get the players, you get the manager, you get the owners, you get the staff down to the cooks, and you get the fans. And it's it, it was it was very cool to see. You know, families who 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 have bled red and white uh, their whole lives and passing it on to their children. You have the guy with the really big beard who yeah. has his young son celebrating with him. It's really cool to see and and getting to hear their stories. I think it, it it made for a great great watch. And so if you haven't watched it, absolutely check it out. Not a very high, not not a large commitment either. Fourteen episodes, about forty five minutes each. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um... And uh, one more episode, or not one more, one more series I would recommend if you're if you're in the if you're looking for a soccer series, um, it's on uh, Amazon Prime. It's called um, uh, This Is Football, and it's it's um, six stories, six I think they're about an hour long episodes, and they go around the world and they just basically tell these amazing stories. Uh, I would highly like, highly recommend that as well. Um, but yeah, Sunderland Till I Die, you know, you're a great series. Um, and uh, hopefully they, they come back to them. And I, I would say, even though I knew that Sunderland did not get promoted from League One, you know, there's still so much suspense. I, I felt like, you know, I was actively rooting for them. And I was like, oh, my God, like, maybe they can do it. Even though in the back of my mind, I knew they were not going to get promoted. And that's that's what made it even more gut-wrenching because it seemed like they were so close to, to uh, making it back up. It was amazing how emotionally invested I got. You know, I was celebrating when they scored. Right, I, yeah. Kind of, I, felt, I felt foolish. I felt foolish. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is bizarre to like watch a series like that where it's a documentary where you kind of already know what happens. But um, yeah, thanks, thanks everyone for, for listening. And uh, once again, recommend you guys uh, watch Sunderland Till I Die if you haven't already. Check us out on Twitter. Make sure you follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, and we will catch you guys next time. Thank you.